Hey, what's up? Hello. Welcome to Vatic Mental Health Media. This is Vaughn. I'm Rachel. Yes, so we are going to talk about fandoms, which is a lot of fun. So fandoms are basically the fan bases of any sort of popular media that you can consume. So you can be part of like a TV show fandom. Those are really popular. Uh, You can be part of like a musician's fandom. I know certain really big musicians have even names for their fan base, like being called a believer, um, Justin Bieber's fans, that kind of thing. And just kind of that delicate balance between being part of a fandom and enjoying a certain part of popular media versus kind of letting it consume you and almost taking on being a fan as a personality trait or as like a significant part of your life. I think it's fun. Um, I when I was in like middle school, I was definitely friends with a bunch of the like super obsessive fan bases. Um, like super hulock. Um, I like to bring that one up. It kind of dates me. Makes me feel old when I say that because that's from a while ago. Um, it's when you're a really big fan of Supernatural, Doctor Who, and Sherlock. Oh, I've never heard of that. That's fun. Yes, so you're considered Super Hulock. Oh, I never heard of that. I think Supernatural is the first fandom I really, at least within television, that I really kind of observed. And I think, in a way, I guess I was a part of it because like, I was. My sister and I were hardcore into it for years. And I think it was really interesting is just that kind of test between, I guess, how loyal fans are to the media or person and where, yes, that kind of goes and stops to where I think in the heart of that fandom in 2013 or 14, I assume like there was two levels. There was both the general, who were the lead actors' names? There was Jared and... Jared Padalecki and Jensen Ackles. And Jensen Ackles. For Jared and Jensen, there was the two levels of the fandom. There was the, oh my god, they're so hot. I need them to impregnate me so I can carry (laughs) on their lineage. There was like that level (laughs) of like to the actors. And there's like the fandom for the actual show. And it was interesting that like if someone like talked smack about... So Supernatural, you are able to kind of just quickly like, hang on a second, let me cite why you're wrong and provide very long evidence and that back and forth. What was really interesting is that almost everybody who had been a member of that fandom has almost since turned on it just because when the show was supposed to end, they kept going. And at first you were like, okay, well, let's see what happens because the fans wrote so many very heated letters to the producers and writers saying, yo, you need to continue this. And they're like, bet, we'll take your money. Yeah. And now we're on like season 15, 14, something ungodly long. 
and everybody they knew who was it has since fallen off with a how dare you betray us by doing this to our favorite characters, dragging them on for this many seasons, and milking the plot this long. And it's that interesting things kind of see where fandoms start and when and how they expire. Yeah, I don't really have much experience with participating in fandoms, which maybe is not surprising to those who know me personally, but my main experience with observing them has definitely been YouTube because I have been a big fan of various YouTubers since like 2011, I think is when I started watching it. I started watching it before it was like normal to watch YouTube. So I remember like trying to like keep it a secret from friends because I didn't want them to think I was weird that I was like watching these like beauty vloggers. But those fandoms can be pretty intense and pretty harsh. And I think a lot of people do find belonging and meaning and community in them which is great you have that common interest but i also i've seen different youtubers fandoms like fight each other for various reasons and maybe i'm too old maybe it doesn't fit my personality but i feel like i'm always on the outside just not totally understanding what's happening and why people care so much about someone they don't know enough to like get in a fight over it but yeah, that's been my main experience with, I obviously like have TV shows and artists and stuff that I am a huge, huge fan of, but I, I've never really entered the world of communicating with other fans and joining like the fandom community in that way. I think it's interesting and I think how it relates to cancel culture is also interesting. A little call back to that episode. From the first words, like Sedona was saying that as fandoms, I guess as people who consume media and it's getting into the whole, there's elements of consumerism and marketing where I think the most interesting that I find, even kind of getting into that Jared and Jensen thing with Supernatural, what I've noticed most within just the music industry, there's this one YouTube channel I follow, Punk Rock NBA, where he takes different genres of music or different bands and kind of traces them to their origins. And he's going back to like the 60s, 70s, 80s through early 2000s to current day and kind of what went into this success, what went into sustaining it, and what went into either its cultural relevance today or why it's kind of fallen off. And he had a few episodes just going through a lot of the genres of punk rock, metalcore, post-hardcore, and some of the big bands within it. And he was saying just how much of the marketing behind them and a lot of it went into the, even if that's not how the band identified, they were almost kind of presented as, I think he used the term, boy bands of breakdowns. And it was really interesting that going to those concerts in high school and college, and even guess can't go now, hashtag the plague. But like, when you go to those concerts, you have an equal, no, let's rewind back to like the glory days, 2013-14. There was an equal amount of, yes, boys, girls, men, women at the concerts. But when you just kind of just on a surface level, as who really makes up the fandom and who's the strongest internet presence, a lot of it was teenage girls. And one of the things that the gentleman who runs the punk rock NBA was saying was just how much of that advertising went into that almost kind of both playing on the emotion, not so much, not so much, maybe not even intentional playing with people's emotions but that intention relating to it and, oh, you need to be a certain level of attractiveness and 
we're going to do these music videos and these kind of photo shoots. So you had both the emotionality of the music paired with, um, oh wow, there are all these attractive dudes who are very talented. So what's very interesting is that for a lot of the men who were involved within the fan base, or I guess a lot of the boys who were involved, it was interesting that a lot of it was a, whoa, I love Sinister Gates from Avenged Sevenfold because he's an incredible guitar player, or I love this person just because they're an awesome vocalist, and there is more of that focus for the music versus the band, and there's always that kind of divide between the fandom people who loved the band or were obsessed with the lead singer. Like, I think Andy Biersack from <laughs> Black Veil Brides is a perfect example of, like, while I'm, while he seems to be a chill guy and was not really, hey, let me start a cult, but just almost the cult following that kind of came up under him just as he's just doing his thing, to where now you see all of those girls have grown up and they're in their 20s and 30s you see a lot of those bands in rock and metal kind of either retreating back into just the underground bar scene, or um, there's so many people who I still will see in concert or follow now, and I'll talk to people from high school or just that age range, like, hey, do you remember Ask Andrew? Hey, do you remember this? Hey, do you remember that? And it's like, oh yeah, no, I kind of grew out of that. And at first, like, how can you grow out of a style of music? And then it's kind of, thinking back to guess, those documentaries, it's like, okay, there was the allure of the music, but there's also the allure of the people in the band and that separation between us fandom and fan and where that kind of divided. Yeah, I really like that like breakdown of it. I have definitely kind of experienced that personally with my favorite band, which is All Time Low. I think when I was in middle and high school, I was more so in like the fandom aspect of it where I followed all four members. I was obsessed with them. I bought everything with them on it. I knew all the facts about their life. And I also liked the music. And as I've kind of grown up, I feel like I've grown out of that aspect of like, oh my God, I'm obsessed with these 30 year old now men. And it's morphed more into, like, I have an intense appreciation for their music still, and I'm still going to support them, call them my favorite band, and go to these concerts and meet them. But I don't kind of have that crazed, fanatic energy about them that I used to. But I think that whole kind of divide is where... Have you guys heard of the term gatekeeping in fandoms? Yeah. 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 Is that like keeping people out who aren't like a true enough fan? Basically, it's that like people that think that they're true hardcore fans kind of being toxic and mean to maybe the casual listener that only started listening to this most recent album and is a newer fan or they don't know every single actor's birthday and child's name and where they grew up um and i think that's where like that divide of kind of being that more like enjoying the content without being kind of like a crazy fanatic of it and making it such an intense process is where that gatekeeping comes into play. 
Uh, I feel like I was even guilty of that yesterday, <laughs> Sedona. Like, I caught myself, but when you had said you hadn't finished yeah. the anime Death Note, my immediate reaction was just kind of like, excuse me, like, Death Note is, like, part of an anime fan scripture. Like, you <laughs> finish the entire thing, <laughs> and then you make your verdict, and that verdict is that it's awesome. What do you mean you only finished half of it? But, like, I didn't say any of that out loud, because, like, you know what? I don't want to be like one of those gatekeeper people. Let her embrace it how she wants to. And there's just that weird thing. It's like, wait a second, in a sense, in some weird twisted way, Death Note is just a TV show. And then that kind of just gets into what value systems may be intertwined with a particular media or song or show. That's maybe why someone might have to say, hey, there's no good reason why you shouldn't like this unless you're a terrible person. But a lot of times that gets carried over into just casual stuff like Death Note, where it's like, is it incredibly written and there's not really anything wrong with it? Yes, but it's not the type of media or written in such a way where if somebody doesn't want to dive all in, it's a reflection of their personhood. There's some media which I would make that argument is true, but it is for a lot of the stuff that we do gatekeep or get worked up about. I think we do kind of confound preference over societal or mortal values. And off the record, you can delete this. I only stopped halfway through because school started and I didn't watch TV for six months. (laughs) I'm keeping this on the record so that way people know, like, you don't... That way you don't end up like triggering a whole yeah. army of Death Note fans. They'll be like, oh, she had she had I to also, get her Yeah, I also have degree. a very bad track record of getting really into a show and watching it and then getting busy and then forgetting all about it. And then I'm like, oh, God, I have to rewatch all of this in order to understand what's going on. That's too much work. And then I just never go back to it. So it has nothing to do with how good of a show or bad it is. I have some thoughts about what Vaughn said. (laughs) One, I think observing gatekeeping, I didn't know the name for it, but I think observing gatekeeping is what kept me out of fandoms. Largely because it scared me a lot to see comments on the internet of people almost threatening other people or being like, if you... If you don't know this obscure thing, don't try to call yourself a fan. And I was always like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't want to try to break into this. It just overwhelmed me. I also, I wasn't that interested to begin with. But I do think that's been my experience, maybe more so on the outside of fandoms, is the gatekeeping does work. Like, I'm not interested in engaging with people who post things like that on the internet, even though we really like the same thing. And then my other thought was that I relate to the feeling of gatekeeping. I do not consider myself a part of any fandoms. I don't really identify with any groups of people in that way. But I do tend to research artists I like a lot on my own. So I do know a lot about their lives. And I know a lot about their music and the meaning behind it and how it all fits together. And with my absolute favorite artists, if someone is kind of a casual fan or someone kind of messes something up or like says a fact that's not true, I feel that like protectiveness and defensiveness coming up in me. 
like I somehow own the artist, which is ridiculous. So I, I get that feeling. I don't know what it feels like in a group context, I guess, but yeah, I don't know. I don't really know where that sort of pride comes from. I, it feels almost threatening to me. Like I've built some part of my identity on how much I enjoyed this music specifically. So if someone is just kind of swooping in and saying something casual, I like feel like it's personal. And I, I usually don't say much and just in my head question myself as to why I'm so upset about something that doesn't matter. But even though, my point is even though I don't, I've never really participated in fandoms, I do kind of understand that almost ownership that you can feel if you dedicate part of yourself to an artist. I think for me, what makes everything work, especially if I'm watching TV or with books, there's, well, there's a sense of a, oh, I'm watching this for enjoyment. There's usually always this like sense of, I want to learn something or I'm searching for how media is impacting society on a grander level. That's always in the back of my mind as I'm usually trying to like engage in something. So I think it's for those reasons where I can see myself, not even so much being a gatekeeper, but in that sense of like, what's wrong with you for not liking this? Where I think the few things that I am extremely almost like religious about will be the author Neil Gaiman or the television series Troll Hunters or Avatar The Last Airbender. I think coming from as a from a literary editing point and as a, a sociological impact, especially within children's media or all ages media, where you have authentic cultural and ethnic diversity, aside from all of our protagonists are different shapes and sizes, but like, oh, you actually fully get into language, geography, politics, and a lot of Full Metal Alchemist is nothing allowed on that list, where you have both from a writing standpoint, kind of be able to dig into and see like, wow, this is like the ideal material that one would use. I think like people even teach classes off of some of those works. And then from a, okay, so this is what we're trying to kind of see in culture. This show is doing it. If you don't like this, then it's almost to like an extreme of that one person who's just kind of like, oh, you don't like Tupac and Biggie. You must be racist, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, it's like, like, it's like you have that fine line between accusing people of like, what? You don't like Avatar. You must hate Eastern religion <laughs> and travel and language and stuff like that versus probably the at more accurate interpretation of a I appreciate all the things I just for whatever reason just couldn't get into the format or the style or whatever is going on but I think especially for media or people who have that more either I don't want to say higher calling but are doing more than entertainment that draws people in I feel like those fandoms have more potentiality of being more hostile. I feel like either the fans within those communities will be because I guess the show has a we're all about world peace and loving each other. The fans in the fandom will either be more of that mindset of it's okay if you don't like this because the purpose of this material is to be loving and understanding. Um, versus the what you don't like material about loving or understanding you must be hitler and that duality there 
Yeah, I I relate to a lot of what's been said. I tend to have like an obsessive streak with different popular media that I like. And so if I find like a TV show or an actor or a movie series, I tend to go all in, read all of the trivia on it, read up on like all of what went into that movie try and read the book series that it's based off of, all of that kind of stuff. And so putting that much effort, I think, into like really enjoying that and adds another layer. And I can definitely feel that sense of like pride and wanting to be like, what the hell? You don't like this as much as me. Like I here's a book. Here's a whole ass article that I wrote as to why you should like this. Obviously I don't do that, but I can feel those feelings as well. But Rachel, like you said about like the gatekeeping and kind of like fandoms being toxic has also been why I haven't been a fan of certain different things like comic books, I feel like have a very, very intense like, oh, you haven't read this comic book since the first the first one came out in 19 whatever like you're not a real fan and that's kind of scary being like well I have no idea but I want to know but there's no way for me to know without kind of being jumped on and I think the same goes for like One Direction I was like there's just too much going on there and now I'm like oh you know some of these One Direction songs they were really really good you know like they're bops like there's some very talented young men and so it's just like how positive of a fan base and like how positive of like a group of people can that be if you're like actively kind of pushing away potential fans due to that level of hostility towards someone it's really interesting like I i was really vibing what rachel was saying earlier about kind of just not stepping into different pools and i think especially or i know that like i'm going to be accused of heretic and people are probably going to break through my house right now after i say this and burn me out of stake but i'm not really a fan of lord of the rings star wars or harry potter me either and i think what hits me most is with each of those things i can comprehend why people like them i can see the weight and like especially with tolkien that's just like a god level eye to detail and it's just very good however i'm kind of just like a for almost like the i don't want to say like obviously harry potter and star wars didn't start fantasy or sci-fi but as for the more modern generation of those themes they definitely really did kind of kick off a new generation in a new way to see this and i can comprehend the weight and the the cultural and historical significance of the works. However, I feel like just because something was the first doesn't mean it's the best. And I think Lord of the Rings exactly is a perfect example where in 21st century, parsimony and being concise are like the biggest things in writing. And if Tolkien were in a freshman creative writing class and he tried to turn in this giant tome, the teacher be like, what the hell is this, bro? We don't need like three pages of backstory on a tree branch. Um, can we just just get to the point, tell the story, stop bogging on the reader? 
and it's just interesting with stuff where either there's just either plot holes or the plot is far too <laughs> developed well, with a lot of those elements so it was just kind of a one i'm just this doesn't seem to be that great like i've read so many other things that i would consider to be far better for the sci-fi and fantasy than those three elements but because there's almost like a whole army kind of surrounding those those novels and these films where it's like you can't say anything about them or it's just like oh well you just haven't read the books or oh you're just don't know what you're really talking about or there's always like some excuse for you as why the person who doesn't like it they're lacking something whereas if you try to compare that book to any other book without that weight or if you just erase the Tolkien, erase Rowling, erase um, Lucas from it and then just compared it to somebody who's never seen anything sci-fi, never seen anything fantasy, it probably wouldn't rank as high as things that have came after or things that even within the same time frame. No, I, I agree. And like with The Lord of the Rings... I have tried to read the Lord of the Rings books like three times and I cannot get through it. I just can't. It's not easy to read in my opinion. It's not very fun. I really enjoy the movies, but there's a lot of different aspects about why I enjoy the movies. We don't have to go into that, but the books are just like a no-go for me. Like maybe one day I'll get to them, but like you said, I've read so many more kind of sci-fi like epic fantasies like that book-wise that I've enjoyed so much more and I've wanted to keep reading and I think there becomes a point in every fandom where it kind of evolves past like is this actually good or do we just like this because of the name attached to it and that's also goes back to that divide that you said like there are people that like it for the content versus all of the little kind of minuscule details like oh it was written by so-and-so or it was by this band or I know every single detail about their life and that's why this is great yeah I mean my perspective on those three things specifically Star Wars Harry Potter Lord of the Rings is that I have not seen or read any of it I think I've seen like one Harry Potter movie and one Star Wars movie and I really have very little interest in those three things and I've received quite a bit of backlash from people in my life even just like who I would consider are more casual fans of those things the response is still like you've never seen that you've never read that oh my gosh you have to you have to you have to and I don't know I think it's it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me like I obviously I understand you know someone who's very close to me who enjoys one of those things being like I think you would enjoy that I get that but just across the board whoever finds out that I'm am not into one of those things that's the response I get and I'm someone who's very content to like just listen to like Bonnie Vare and Maggie Rogers and Dermot Kennedy and watch New Girl until I die like I'm not interested in like engaging in all these like really big fandoms necessarily and all the media that comes with it like those all those three things are very big undertakings to really get into them and I don't know, I think the the psychology behind it, I think, is very interesting, like, on both sides, like, why am I so against engaging in something most of the world seems to love, and why 
is most of the world so against someone like me not wanting to engage in it? And I think, I'm guessing that sort of concept has always kind of been around and the internet has probably made it a lot stronger because people who are a fan of the same thing can really congregate better online. But I think it's it's interesting. I think if you're just looking at developmental stages and that kind of between when somebody grows up and as you have it, I guess like your id is eventually brought into check by your super ego and ego if you want to go the Freudian psychoanalysis route paired with I guess that id with a everything is about me I guess what I want and that kind of extension of what I want you should want and identification yeah which kind of gets into this one article by a Elizabeth Moore from 2018 where she was just talking about the correlation between fandoms and childishness where you have I guess on one level you have I guess the as getting almost from the original fan booming from fanatic where you have that level of either teasing and bullying or being super obsessive and then you kind of have that unable to separate fantasy from reality. And you kind of have a lot of fandoms. I guess one of the quotes from the article is, these comparisons of fans and children highlight how fans have historically been patholized and patholized. Pathologized? Pathologized. Thank you. <laughs> okay, rewind. These comparisons of fans and children highlight how fans have been historically pathologized and othered in as much as the same way children have. And you have how much of that is really between a lot of the immaturity you kind of see coming up in fandoms in comment sections or whether it be, I can't believe you did this kind of song. I don't like that. This isn't the Hollywood and dead. I really know. I'm just like, okay. Like a child will just randomly say their opinion and be mean. Whereas a grown ass adult should be. Hmm, I'm differentiated enough to let these 30-year-old men write the music they want to. <laughs> um, let me get back to my 9 to 5. <laughs> and how much of it is that childish is that and how much of it is projected onto people where you have the idea that something that's rated G for a general audience or E for everyone implicitly means that this is for children, whereas so much of fandoms are kind of this adult thing, whether you be kind of from the age of the first conventions and stuff with Star Trek and comic books and stuff like that, where you kind of needed a license and a job and a lot of quote-unquote grown-up elements to be able to kind of fully engage in those communities and travel and be a part of those events and then of course you have the erotic fan fiction that also kind of branches out as well to kind of be hmm, maybe we shouldn't let kids into this and you kind of have as fandoms which are usually kind of been a either a this is explicitly a grown-up thing or you have like the one directioners where oh this is explicitly a kid thing that kind of opens up to that whole thing well just because we finally created a material that children and adults can both enjoy. This doesn't mean that adults should be banned from it. And then you just have that almost defensiveness of, I guess, especially with anime, which is just really weird because I guess there isn't that 
stigma within Japan, and I guess now by 2020 it's kind of lifting within the U.S., but that sense of animation equals, this is for kids, or I'm just kind of like, hmm, the amount of blood swearing, violent backstories, depending on the series, is like, well, some animes are can be for kids, some of them definitely are not for children, but just is rooming in high school with a, oh, why are you just watching cartoons and stuff like that? And that kind of sparked a lot of the defensiveness around some of my favorite series then, just because there was just this constant, almost you're just waiting for it, it's either the teasing or the negative statements and kind of being grouped in with a child, whereas like, okay, well, just because a child can also watch this doesn't mean that adults can't partake in this media as well. And then on the other end, the, no, just because this resembles something that a child might enjoy doesn't mean this is child material. I'm wondering how much of that defensiveness that we've all kind of talked about feeling when someone says that they're not a fan of something might stem from the fact that at one point or another, I'm sure all of us have experienced being teased or bullied about liking something. And it's always by people that are like, oh, I would never watch that. Or why would you watch that? It's childish. It's not for you. Because I I can relate to having been teased for liking certain things growing up. And I'm kind of just making that correlation now. Maybe that defensiveness is coming from like you view those people that are like, oh, I've never seen it. You might kind of view them as the people that teased you about liking that way back when and they might be you might have some of that what is it counter transference yeah what are your guys' thoughts on that i think that's a good point and i think maybe it's more of like a proactive response like i don't want to be teased or i don't want to be made fun of for this so i'm going to defend myself immediately at like the first sign of like disagreement or contention but like in reality the other person may have never intended to tease you like when i say i don't i'm not interested in star wars i'm not going to then make fun of the person who says they love it and i think a lot of people especially adults are more in that realm of not wanting to berate others as much as maybe you know middle schoolers do I think that's a really good connection, so don't, I didn't think about that. So when the newest live, so I guess when the 2019 live-action Dora movie came out, I was just fascinated about how did they pull this off, and just from a writing perspective, how they would have done it. So I think I was the only person in the whole theater that saw it. And I was like, even as I was going, I was pretty much like readying my whole list of defenses for all of the crap I was going to be getting afterwards. And sometimes they didn't have to use that list, and other time it was like, oh, you just said, okay, moved on with your life. I don't actually have to get into my whole speech or why I went and saw it. But it was just that interesting, almost difference between, I guess, producers and consumers, where you have, I guess, the sense of, okay, Dora is for young girls, but who was the director of that movie? A dude there are so many men in the whole writing and production of it. So it was just really interesting 
that balance between you can have men create something and nobody questions it, but if a man consumes that thing, then there's... Or even another thing would be pop music, which I think, again, is becoming far more generalizable now. Whereas, like, years ago, if I said, oh, I'm listening to Britney Spears, who at the time was puppeteered by a European dude, nobody had anything to say about that dude, but any man who listened to Britney Spears was, what are you doing listening to her? Whereas now that really hasn't... It was interesting when I listened to her new album now, which was incredible, I was kind of preparing for that same backlash and I was like oh nobody in society cares okay that's cool <laughs> let me just set down my sword and battle axe <laughs> yeah I think that's a really good point Sedona just that primed defensiveness I'm thinking that I I think we've all been trained to be that defensive and I'm wondering why that's the case like I, I understand and agree agree with Sedona's point that most of us have been made fun of for something we like. So we have that sort of defensiveness, but I also think it is commonplace to be so defensive about what you like if it's not super popular or even if it's not just popular with the people you surround yourself with. And I think it's sad. Like, I I think it's sad that, Vaughn, you were saying you... I felt like you need to defend yourself to for seeing the Dora live action movie and like I've definitely like felt some shame around certain things I choose to watch just because they're not like quote unquote cool or they're not what people in my circle like so I like deliberately don't really bring it up unless it comes up and I think it's sad because what we like is an expression of who we are and we're all different in some ways and that's important and the world would be so boring if we were all the same and yeah obviously if something's being created the thought is that some group of people will enjoy it so what's the shame if you're in that group obviously given that whatever is created is like ethical and kind and you know, respectful, but <laughs> I was just imagining like all of the like dark side of like Wattpad just like jumping on that. Yeah, it's like Rachel O'Connor is like backing up my Alfred in twelve-year-old Bruce Wayne fan fiction. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> yeah, no, but no. Not. Yeah, no, definitely not. Not backing up any fan fiction that involves minors. Um, yeah, I'm talking about more, like, generally societally acceptable things. See, and with it being kind of entering the fall season, you especially see that with, like, pumpkin spice. <laughs> yeah. Like, lattes. I'm gonna be that person that's, like, I was always like, oh my god, I don't like pumpkin spice lattes because people make fun of the people that like it. And now I'm like, it's just good! Why you gotta hate on people that like something that's so delicious? It's just a drink also. like Right, like, why, like, and so I definitely agree that people, I think we're due to society and just how hostile everyone is towards liking something or 
liking something super mainstream or liking something that no one else likes, you know, there's both ends are equally teased. You're almost, Mm -hmm. like you said, you're taught to be defensive and have to defend why you like something instead of it just being universally accepted that, oh, I'm a person who has likes and dislikes and that's okay. I think it's just finding that community and kind of balancing that everybody is involved, maybe except for Rachel, but like everybody's involved (laughs) in some type of fandom (laughs) <laughs> and at some level like one of the so there's old cyanide and happiness comic that i saved to my meme folder in like eighth grade i just pulled it up and it's like this little kid playing on like his nintendo ds and then there's like a bigger kid kind of walking through him so the kid's just kind of like sweet hit level 42 gonna be a paladin and the bigger kid is like haha nerd and then the kid just turns to him like tell me about your favorite football player and he goes like, only Leon Russellberger, 6'4", 227 pounds, 294.2 passing yards per game. He just goes into all of this dude's stats, far more detailed than a kid was talking about his video game character. And then a the kid just like, nerd, and just walks away. <laughs> I think it's that, finding almost that balance between not harassing or being a gatekeeper, but at the same time, just kind of seeing how, like, what Rachel said, like, hey, people are appreciating this. Mm-hmm. Like, I was at UPS a couple weeks ago, and I pulled out my wallet, which is has Kaneki from Tokyo Ghoul on it. And it's just always that fun test whenever I go to pay for stuff, just to kind of see. And, like, maybe, like, 10% of the time, the cashier is like, whoa. And there's just this immediate sense of recognition and comrade comrade or i'll see saw someone with an old asking alexandria shirt it was a dude with an old alexandria shirt which is important for aforementioned reasons and we immediately went into a whole like 40 minute conversation about music it is because almost that identification of both the media and so many i guess personality traits that those within the media would have and share so it's one of this one of the really cool things I have never really seen anything create that sense of relationship and community than I guess either where you're taught whether you're talking about fandoms or just specific instances of media where you can just run into a complete stranger and like wow I've known this person all my life and kind of part ways and feel almost more fulfilled than maybe your closer relationships where kind of like you said Rachel you just kind of keep those artists or those shows in the closet because oh nobody cares and nobody really appreciates this no one or people might judge me for that mm-hmm. yeah I think that gets at kind of the plus side of fandoms is that people can find belonging and understanding and camaraderie within them and that's really important for human beings like we have a a strong need for belonging and I think a really fun and fulfilling way to feel like you belong is to be around people who are really interested in something that interests you Mm -hmm. and I think that's a cool example Vaughn how it's just like some random cashier and you felt sounds like you felt very seen and known by that person who doesn't really know you and will probably never see you again And that's really the plus side. So, like, we're not trying to hate on the entire concept of fandoms. Because there's definitely, like, some 
positive reasons why they exist in the first place. I think if everyone's done, I think we should end this episode with that one fandom that we're a part of in secret that we don't tell people. Mm. I think that would be fun. That is fun. If you guys are up for it. Because I don't know how we could talk about counseling someone in a fandom. Yeah. Yeah. It's too broad. Yeah, I like your idea. Can it just be something I like that I don't tell people because I don't really engage? Yeah. Okay, cool. I can tell mine. I am obsessed with those, like, really, really low-rated, like, really campy, just, like, D-list celebrity, like, sci-fi movies. Like, the ones that everyone else hates. I I love them so much. <laughs> I have so many of them that, like, I've maybe brought up to a couple of people, and they're like, that's the worst movie I've ever seen, and so then I never bring it up again. And no one, I, no one's even seen half of the ones that I'm like, this is just great. So that's one of mine. I don't know, because I'm super, like, I don't have any, like, secret fandoms. I feel like by this point, I'm super vocal about all of the bullshittery that I engage in on a regular basis. I'm trying to think. I know, I think one thing, I guess, that's not even really... Like a, ah, this is such a hard question. I think I can share some sentiments with Sedona because I think with either film or with music, I have a fascination with things I feel like are intentionally terrible. Or maybe that wasn't the director or the artist's intention, but stuff that is just like, oh, this is so bad. Where like, I think there's some stuff like Don't Save Me by Marshmallow. I feel like that is, for those who don't know, look it up. You'll be like, oh my god, what the heck is this? Why is this a thing? And then you'll be like, oh, okay. I think it might be music or horrible movies. And like Santa's Sleigh, which I think was probably like 3 out of 10, 2 out of 10 stars or something like that. Where it's just like, it's so bad. It's just like, just fun to watch and roast with people. What about you, Rochelle? I'm having a hard time thinking of one, too. I think I'm wondering now maybe if I'm like a little boring or like straight edged or something, because I don't there's there's just like not really any movies or books or shows or music that I like would be embarrassed to say I like or that people would even make fun of me for. I think I don't I, I talked about it at the beginning of this episode, but I don't usually talk about how much I enjoy watching like vloggers on YouTube and that's not even that like a niche anymore like it's pretty widespread someone most people have some sort of YouTuber YouTube video that they like to watch on a regular basis now but I guess that I don't really talk about that to most people in my life just because I think they won't relate but I think a lot of my feeling about that is probably carried over from enjoying YouTube back when it it was not cool at all to like YouTube and I think maybe kids who are growing up now I would assume they talk more openly about different YouTubers I like because it's a lot more part of normal mainstream culture now than it was when I was like a freshman in high school but I, I don't see my enjoyment of different YouTubers as like a 
high class part of me. I think it's like easy entertainment for me to relate to and kind of decompress with. But if you ask me like what my favorite media is, I, I wouldn't say that because I don't think it's, I don't know, as impressive, I guess, as other things that I enjoy. Oh, I know. Deleting everything I said previously. <laughs> I think my closeted media that I'm not like always super like, oh, wow, would be on the periods of time where I'm watching Family Guy or American Dad. Because I guess for me, I think Seth Farland is brilliant. And there's a lot of elements where I'm just kind of like, oh, oh, no, don't do, no, don't say that. Then there's other elements where I'm just kind of like, oh, ah, 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 or whoa, that is brilliant social commentary. You go, buddy. But I think just because the normal reaction is just like base humor with nothing to be gained from it, and especially as the guy who's always like the political commentarist who's watching stuff, I'm usually very much, oh, let me just kind of not mention this. So I don't have to get into a long <laughs> defense. But thank you all for joining. And I guess we will see you next week.